And welcome back to another episode of The Conspiracy Skeptic. I'm your conspiracy skeptic, Carl Mamer. And on this edition of Conspiracy Skeptic Unplugged, I have uh, one, one of the hosts of a podcast called and, – and Charles, you're going to have to help me out on the pronunciation. Uh, it's uh, Irreligiosophy. Thank you. Irreligiosophy. All right. Yeah. So I have a – What makes this unplugged? Oh well, uh, yeah, it's it it you make it unplugged. Uh, <laughs> where my the previous versions of this podcast, I I sort of you know researched and uh, and then sort of kind of presented uh, you know sort of my my findings and um, and uh, I was only going to do twelve episodes and and uh, and then sort of call it quits. But I got a lot of complimentary emails. So I thought, oh, I'll keep this going for a while. But I had to find a new format. So I, I didn't always have to keep researching everything and writing it all down and then sort of, you know, re- reading it out and stuff. And so I thought, oh, I'll just have interesting people from the, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the uh, skeptical world, podcasters and bloggers and such, and just get them to pick their favorite conspiracy and, and, uh, Come on my show, so 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 you're right. So you're uh, you're Charles or Chuck, Chuck? You like to go by Chuck? Chuck's good, yeah. All right, Chuck Chuck so, Chuck Chuck Morrison. So basically, you're making us do all the work. That's um, yes, yes. I am <laughs> offloading. Very nice. <laughs> yeah, I am downloading the work to to my guest, and uh, and, uh, and and right. So you you do a po- your podcast is called. <sighs> you could have got like a. <laughs> Simpler name. You have one of the I, one of my favorite podcasts out there, but also, uh, you know, sort of it's v- it directly proportional, you know, to the how hard it is to pronounce the name of your podcast. Yeah. Our running joke is that Leighton cannot pronounce anything, right? Like English is a second language almost. Uh, so I uh, made up this word that would be very difficult to pronounce, so that we could get him screwing up the name of our own show over and over. Again. All right. And it's also it's hard to Google and yeah, just call yourself Sam or something like that. Like three letters done with it. I Wait, think so, we put in uh, keywords of all the common misspellings of it, but I don't know if that works. All right, and, and your your co-host is Leighton Allred. Leighton Allred, okay. And and your your podcast is it's sort of I mean as the name implies, it's kind of uh, about religion coming from an atheist perspective, right? Right. Um, it's the wisdom of irreligion is what it means. Uh, so we basically poke fun at uh, fundamentalist Christianity or, or um, a literal view of the Bible, basically. Cool. And, and, and a lot of your podcasts are about, about, about Mormonism. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Leighton and I both come from Mormon backgrounds. I come from a fundamentalist Mormon background that, that kind of actively promotes polygamy. Uh, and Leighton comes from a more mainstream church modern Mormon background. Okay, right. And Le- Leighton's uh, – you did a podcast on role-playing and Leighton's dad was uh, – he, he actually role-played with you guys when you yeah. were, were youths or children. Yeah, he was, he was a dungeon master of one of the most excruciatingly boring role-playing sessions I have ever played. It's amazing I ever did it after that. So it's kind of a, a Mormon inver- a version of role-playing. Yeah, exactly. Right. Mormon church is uh, three hours long and it's, it's, uh, it's horrible. It is absolutely horrible, and I guess that what that's what made his game at least you know we we were tolerant to that. Wow! All right, and how how long have you been doing your your, your podcast? We just started in January. January, okay. And but you, you have a number of uh, you have a number of podcasts out there already. Number of episodes. How, how many episodes are you up to? 
I think we're into the 30s. Um, 31 or 32, I think, is what it is. We do one a week. Okay, okay. Yeah, and unlike this podcast where I get to it once every month and a half or something like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm shooting to be the uh, Mark Chryslop's quack cast where you know he sort of came out with one every week, then every two weeks, and now he just does – it's like the, the the guy who did the uh, uh, I don't know what was that movie the 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 thin red line the the invasion you know Clint Eastwood invading Okinawa or something like that that director I know there's some directors out there they come out with a movie like once a decade or something and I don't know but something the nice thing is uh, there's so many topics in religion that it's hard to run out but if we do I guess we'll start spacing out our podcast. Yeah, but you're you're saying sort of, uh, offline that your 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 Mormonism podcasts are, are the mo- the most popular. Yeah, um, strangely enough, you know, we kind of fell back on that because it was stuff that we knew uh, when I was uh, going out with um, my at that time girlfriend, but she was soon to be my wife. We kind of clashed because she was modern Mormon, I was um, fundamentalist Mormon. I thought I was right; she thought she was. So I researched this whole thing out and it ended up kind of being the first step to losing my faith. Um, so we started these modern uh, or these Mormon podcasts because it didn't take a whole lot of research. Uh, we could do a little bit of research and, and fill up an entire show. Right. So we, we did, uh, I think, two months worth of Mormon podcasts spaced out a little bit. But yeah, for some reason, um, they're probably the most commented on uh, that we've done. I mean, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. And, and you guys, you both, I mean, you, you know your material cold and uh, – and and you guys are like really funny too. I mean, just the the back and forth between you guys is just. I mean, you, you you guys grew up together, right? Like you've known each other since since boyhood. Yeah, uh, he lived down the street from us. Um, he's a little younger than I was, so I was uh, friends with his brothers. His brothers went on missions um, successively after each other. So one brother came back and he was totally changed by his mission. The other one went out. He came back. He was totally changed by his mission. And so I was kind of working my way through the all-red family. Uh, Leighton actually didn't go on a mission, uh, and he was harassed by his parents to no end for that. Okay. But, we've, yeah, we've known each other for a long time. And uh, I, your, your favorite conspiracy is uh, – it, it's, it's about Mormonism or involves Mormonism, right? Yeah, it's the uh, Mark Hoffman bombings that made national news uh, in the mid-'80s. I was probably – 13 or 14 at the time, but I remember reading articles in the newspaper about it. Okay. How, how old are you? Can I ask you how old you are? I'm 37. 37. Okay. I'm, I'm 40, 43. So we kind of come from the same uh, same same era, right? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. But before we get into uh, the, the, the conspiracy itself, um, can you sort of briefly tell me, like, what, what is Mormonism? You know, how does it, it, it's, it's ostensibly a Christian religion, but a lot of Christians are like, you know, no, they are, you know, they're doing the devil's work. And, uh, so what, what is, what is Mormonism? Like, how is it different? Well, it's basically a, um, 19th century upgrade of Christianity. You know, the, the big problems that, uh, bothered people like, is God a three in one, one in three, how's that possible? Uh, is there a hell? Um, is God really that uh, mean in that he will torture people for millions of years uh, for something they did in 70? Uh, that sort of thing. So basically, Mormonism says that uh, God is one in spirit, but he's three separate personages. Um, that, that God actually is the father of Jesus Christ, and they're two separate beings. As a matter of fact, in Joseph, in one of his versions of the 
his first vision. Uh, he claims that he was appeared to by two separate personages that looked exactly like each other, God the Father and Jesus Christ. And in Mormonism, there's no hell. There are three levels of heaven, uh, depending on, you know, A, the highest levels if you're Mormon. Second level is if you're Christian, you believe in Christ, but you were kind of deceived. You believe in the wrong Christ, basically. Right. You're deceived by other Christians. Uh, the third level is basically what we're living in right now. So this is basically as bad as it gets. There's one other level called outer darkness, but that's for people who essentially Jesus appeared to, and then you turn around and deny it. Then right. you get thrown into like a black hole or something. Because what, I mean, you know, I'm kind of fascinated by Mormonism because one of my boyhood friends, he was a Mormon or at least temporarily a Mormon. He smokes and drinks, and so he, he long ago sort of – gave up that faith. But uh, when he was sort of in his Mormonism phase, he would sort of tell everybody about, you know, about there not being any any, a hell, just about the different levels of heaven. And I guess kind of your punishment was maybe you could sort of see the other levels, like you could sort of see the upper levels from your lower level or something. Right. Uh, Well, it was explained to me that people from above could visit down, (laughs) but you couldn't go up. Okay. So, uh, you know, Jesus could come down one step and talk to people, and uh, your friends and family who were Mormons could come down and visit you. Um, But but your hell would be uh, inner torment over not being able to go into the real heaven or the higher level. At the highest level, you become a god yourself. And you uh, make planets and populate these planets with uh, bodies of your spiritual children. Well, so that was a part he didn't tell us. But the uh, but when, when he would tell us to like you know non Mormon people, they would all sort of they first they would go kind of like oh that's you know that's such a kinder gentler religion. They really liked the idea of no hell. But but then there was always this moment of silence, and they would always ask the same question: Are you saying? Even Hitler is in heaven, and then he would be like, "Well, yeah, technically, probably the lowest level of heaven, but even Hitler is in heaven." So you're saying there's no hell even for Hitler? No, there's no hell. And that's at that point they were kind of in shutdown mode. They <laughs> they they liked the idea of this kinder, gentler religion, but but it, if a religion lacked a hell for at least Hitler, then it just it just wasn't worth their time. Yeah. Um- we, we like the idea of no hell for ourselves, but for other people, it's kind of hard to swallow. <laughs> yeah, there are some people kind of maybe deserving a hell. Wow. Right, exactly. All right. Yeah, no, that's right. Uh, Hitler would be in the third level. The third level specifically is for murderers, rapists, thieves, and atheists, people who don't believe in Jesus. Cool. <laughs> and uh, te- technically, uh, Mormonism, it, it it's sort of the uh, sort of the philosophical roots of Battlestar Galactica, isn't it? That's correct. Yeah, um, Glenn Larson's uh, Mormon, and you can see this inside the uh, the episodes themselves. They'll refer to uh, the Lost Ten Tribes, uh, or their planet is Cobol. I think the Lords right. of Cobol, right. which is uh, you mix around the letters, and it's Kolob, which is the star in Mormon theology that God's planet revolves around. <laughs> So uh, maybe just a couple of short more questions about uh, battle or not Battlestar Galactica Mormonism. Oh, it's one and the same, right? Um, uh, and according to Mormonism, is I mean, is this true sort of official church doctrine that you can't you can become a, you can become God, you can become your own God? That is true. Uh, there's a difference in Mormonism between salvation uh, and exaltation. So to them, salvation means that you're saved, you go to heaven, and that's a gift granted to nearly everybody. 
And exaltation is that you become God uh, and you go out and populate, you know, um, different worlds and galaxies with your spirit children and give them the opportunity to become gods themselves. Okay. And, and that, that's how Mormons explain all the different galaxies. Okay. So could you, on your, on your, uh, on your podcast, you talk a lot about this, um, uh, Adam God concept where a- Adam, you know, the, the, you know, the Genesis Adam was in, in some Mormons believe he was actually, he was God or something like that. He was, That's right. Um, that was taught by Brigham Young. Brigham Young said that he got it from Joseph Smith. Um, he may have said that. I don't know if that's true. There's there's very little evidence. There's one passage in the Doctrine and Covenants, which is a collection of Mormon revelations, you know, where God gave them to Joseph Smith right. and a few others, uh, that mentions the uh, Ancient of Days, spoken of by Daniel, uh, as referencing Adam. Okay. And all the other Christian um, sects really believe that uh, that refers to God himself. So that may be where Brigham Young got it. But basically the concept is uh, the God of our God, so our God's father, okay. brought our God down, and he was uh, named Adam, and he had Eve, which Brigham Young said was one of his wives. <laughs> and that they came down to the Garden of Eden. They had to eat the fruit in order to become mortal. So eating the fruit actually changed them from immortal beings to mortal beings. So they could start the, the process of having mortal bodies for their spirit children. And when uh, Adam was done, he kind of got translated back into heaven and became God. So that's kind of the flip side of – that's what happens when you become a god basically. This was never a very popular doctrine, and it was removed from the church after the turn of the century. It was in the temple uh, until in the early 1900s there were some hearings about Reed Smoot who was a monogamist. But uh, the Senate floor didn't like uh, having a Mormon. Um, he didn't have the same moral caliber, I guess. So they, were, they had all these hearings about whether or not he's worthy to be uh, on the Senate floor. And part of those hearings were because they just issued the second manifesto uh, banning polygamy. We really mean it this time. The first <laughs> one was 1890. So part of the hearings were are you teaching in private things that you're not teaching publicly? One of those was Adam God, and so uh, they removed it from the temple. And, and, and Mormonism, it, it, would you sort of define that as like uh, – I think you had a great term, mystery religion. Was that your term, mystery religions? Yeah, it, it's – you know, in the first century, there were all these mystery religions kind of floating around, and, and early Christianity became one of them. Uh, but the religion of Mithras or um, – some of the other religions, uh, Osiris, I believe, was another mystery religion, where basically they they taught things in you know that they were open, but they were code for things okay. that they taught secret. Okay. Those were the mystery religions, and, and Mormonism is is sort of one of those because they'll teach you things up to a point, and then you have to be worthy enough and pay enough tithing in order to get a little card that says you can go into the temple, right. and then they teach you. Right. So my, my, my Mormon friend, he always used to sort of claim that, you know, he knew things, you know. <laughs> he would never tell you what he knew, but, you know, he knew things. And as if, like, the weight of the world somehow rested upon his shoulders, you know, you know he knew the horrible truth. Like, uh, you, always, you know, it's like, like way, way back, like, you know, the Catholic nuns used to teach that, uh, you know, that, that, you know, that the Protestants are all going to go to heaven because they're sort of born in this ignorance. And and how lucky Catholics are, you know, that they know the truth, and and you know, you know, and and they have the you know the option of going to hell 
because they you know they know better sort of sort of thing that that was taught to me also you know where much is given much is required and since you have the total truth as opposed to all these other ignorant abominations or church uh christian churches much is required from you so you got to um stand up and and do your part um in the mormon temple ceremony i haven't gone through it apparently there was a big love episode that gave the whole thing and it's you know you can search it up on the internet um but basically they teach that god and jesus got together made the world uh jesus was sent down to um be sacrificed for the sins they used to actually make a sign with their thumb okay and they make promises inside the temple uh, not to say any of this stuff because it's totally secret. Right, right. Um, so they draw their thumb across their neck. They say, "If uh, I would rather cut my throat and rupture my bowels, basically. Uh, and so they draw it across their stomach uh, rather than reveal this, uh, these secrets. Now, they took that out in the late 80s, so the 1980s. Um, I'm not sure why, probably because – it was scaring a whole lot of new Yeah, conference. or maybe the fr- Freemasons might have wanted to sue them or something. Cause that, yeah, it's entirely it, it sounds a bit like kind of like a Freemason ritual where, you know, I guess, I guess something, yeah, that you threatened that, you know, cut your throat or something like that if you reveal the yeah. – Well, Joseph Smith was involved in Masonry. That's probably where he got all this stuff. There's a bunch of Masonic symbols on the um, Salt Lake Temple, and they teach you, like, all these signs and tokens in order to get into heaven. Oh, right. Unless uh, like a sign of the nail, there's a, a secret handshake. They give you a secret name. <laughs> did, did, you, did you ever see the the South Park episode about about Mormonism? Yes, I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, uh, if I, I um, if you really if you loved that episode, then uh, yeah, definitely download every uh, every one of your Mormonism uh, episodes okay. from your podcast because it's just it's just, it's it's as funny as the South Park episode, but I mean, there must be about six, at least six or eight hours of material there. So, yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't sort of stress enough how how just funny and funny that that stuff is. But uh, the, the subject itself is absolutely crazy, and the fact that people believe this, yeah, yeah, and they will tell you with an absolute straight face, uh, God has revealed this to me. I know it for certain. Uh, it's it's amazing. All right, so so you're uh, the um, you're you're. Conspiracy then is it's called the the like the white salamander letters. Is that is that sort of a good way to describe it? Or that's right. Yeah, this was um, the Mark Hoffman bombings. Uh, how do you, I can? This is a little difficult because in explaining this stuff, you kind of have to go through a bunch of things in Mormon history. So hopefully, we have time to get into this. Oh stuff. sure. Um, Mark Hoffman was uh, kind of a, a below average high school student. He was brought up in. I think Salt Lake or Murray, Utah, uh, son of two really faithful Mormons. He, he went on a mission to England. Um, but during that time, he kind of read a lot of anti-Mormon literature and apparently lost his face somewhere either before or on his mission. When he came back, and he had a kind of side interest in forgery. He, this is an interesting story where he, uh, he found an electroplating kit and he uh, – kind of uh, scrubbed off the mark of, a, of an old dime or a penny and wrote in a, a rare mark okay. and actually got it authenticated by some national coin organization. Wow. This was in his teens. Well, so he's not making a whole lot of money. Um, he decides that he's going to forge some documents. Um, and 
not only just some documents, but documents that will kind of make the church look bad because the church has lots of things in its history that it doesn't want out. It has a vault in Salt Lake City where they have a bunch of historical things that have come down through the generations that essentially they have cut off all access to. Right. Not, not church members, not church historians, only very select people with the approval of the higher-ups in the church can get into it. What was it? The, uh, sorry, was the, or was that, there was that massacre. Was it the Meadow Massacre or – Mountain Meadow Massacre. Ma- that was under Brigham Young. Right, yeah. yeah. Is that – because, I mean, I never heard of that until just a, a few years ago. Is that something I missed or is that something that just has sort of been revealed recently? No, it, it's well known. Okay. It just um, The recent news on it was – the uh, the someone had, was going to do a development on there. I think the church or the, the state was going to put a, a monument to these things to the mountain the victims of the Mountain Meadows massacre. And the, the Mountain Meadows massacre itself, um, uh, the Mormons they'll tell you they'll be first to tell you that they were persecuted um, for various reasons throughout their history, and uh, they had now moved to Utah to get away from all this stuff. But they had pioneers coming back and forth on the way to the gold right. rush in California. A group of these pioneers was uh, drinking and uh, laughing loudly about how they were responsible for killing Joseph Smith. Um, and this angered the local Mormons. There was a letter sent to Brigham Young stating, what should we do about this? Apparently, before Brigham Young's response got back saying, don't do anything, let them pass peacefully – a bunch of Mormons got out, dressed themselves up as Native Americans, and killed men, women, and children in that pioneer. And that's called the that pioneer trail is called the Mountain Meadows Massacre. They killed uh, like thirty people. Right. So it got into the news recently because they there was this backhoe that's going to go and it's going to dig all this stuff out, and the church did not want that brought up again. Oh, okay. So the church actually suppressed that. I think they agreed to do a little monument, but there wasn't going to be any excavation. Okay. All right. So that's why that's why you heard it recently ah. in the news. But it's it's one of those bad, bad episodes of uh, Mormonism that they'd rather forget. Okay, okay. So all right. So so get, getting back to the topic or or the the, the, the first digression that the the, the Mormon uh, the Mormon religion they, they they have a vault where they a lot of stuff they want to kind of keep secret. Right. There, there's a lot of stuff in Mormon history that's embarrassing. Um, Joseph Joseph Smith's polygamy. Uh, is one um, and how early that goes. He has a revelation from God saying that he can have polygamous wives, and Emma better um, step up to the plate and agree to it, or she'll be damned. Right. Um, <laughs> his his wife. Smart on uh, Joseph Smith's part to include that in the revelation. Um, <laughs> but he uh, so there's that, and he, he has plural wives going all the way back, to, I think, to 1827, which is about three years before the Book of Mormon, which is even before the Church admits that he had wives. Um, there is his Kirtland Bank uh, disaster. The Kirtland Safety Society. Everyone invested into this bank, and it was part of the religion. You know, you got to be a good Mormon. Right. Invest in the bank. It totally collapsed, leaving uh, hundreds of investors totally broke. Um, lots of stuff that uh, Adam God is another one that they just would rather not um, have you know. Right. Uh, so in this climate, any anti-Mormon documents uh, would be attractive to the church to buy up. And then hide. And that's exactly what they did with a lot of these. But the, the first transcript that, that he, in quotes, found um, was the so-called Anthon transcript. This is uh, – there's a story in early Mormonism. Martin Harris was approached by Joseph Smith. Martin Harris was a, a wealthy farm owner. 
He had a, a big farm, and he's worth probably about ten thousand dollars. Right. Uh, Joseph Smith had uh, this these golden plates that he had found under the direction of an angel, but he he needed someone to help with the translation of it, right? Because uh, he couldn't spell very well. Uh, he wasn't very educated. So he approached Martin Harris. Um, Martin Harris uh, was willing to do it, um, but his wife was after him to get some proof. So he had Joseph Smith copy some characters down from the golden plates, and he went east and uh, found a bunch of professors, one of which was Charles Anthon. Um, Harris said that Anthon said that they were uh, authentic characters, but uh, Anthon actually wrote a letter saying, you know, I said no such thing. Uh, <laughs> All right. Um, you have him as early as 1834 saying, um, absolutely not. I warned him that, you know, he's being taken advantage of and he's probably after your money, uh, which is <laughs> actually more of a profit than Joseph Smith because that's true. Uh, Martin Harris fronted the money for the Book of Mormon, lost every dime, lost his farm, and his wife divorced him. Uh, his, his wife was sort of the skeptic in all of this. She was a skeptic. She kept hounding him. She was uh, responsible also for getting him to they, – they translated 116 pages, and she said, I want to show this to people basically, and um, Martin Harris wanted to show it. So they kept pestering Joseph Smith. And there are actually revelations in Doctrine and Covenants saying, can I do this? And God says no. Joseph Smith says, can I do this? God says no. Can I do this? God says, oh, fine, do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then they were lost. And so Joseph Smith apparently got rebuked by the Lord and was uh, – he lost his ability to translate. Anyway, this um, Anthon transcript supposedly has never been found. Um, you had apparently characters arranged in vertical columns with a little uh, circle at the bottom with some – what looked to be a Mexican calendar. All right. So miraculously enough, on the 150th anniversary of the church's founding – it was founded April 6, 1830 – in 1980 – Mark Hoffman uh, bursts onto the Mormon document scene with the Anthon transcript, the actual transcript. He said that he found it in a 17th century Bible. It was folded up and kind of glued in there. And there's actually uh, – this is fantastic. A, uh, I got a little copy of the Salt Lake Tribune. They have Gordon B. Hinckley, who was later to become prophet, the then prophet Spencer W. Kimball holding a um, magnifying glass above this transcript. And Mark Hoffman off to the uh, right, far far left of the thing. Um, so <laughs> instead of praying, you know, hey, God, I'm the prophet. Uh, is this thing accurate? Uh, <laughs> they got it um, authenticated by one of their church experts. And he said, yes, this is authentic. And they um, traded because it wouldn't look good for the church to actually pay money. Right. But they traded a first edition Book of Mormon. A $5 Mormon gold piece is from the 1850s, I think, 1840s, and some Kirtland Safety Society banknotes, which are very valuable. So about $20,000 in trade okay. from the church to Mark Hoffman uh, for this transcript. Now, this one wasn't too bad, although uh, Hugh Nibley, who's one of the most prominent church historians, said this is fantastic because we can now have a test of Joseph Smith's ability to translate these things right. and see if you know we can give this to experts and have it translated. Uh, but they never did. They actually kind of just kind of folded it up and put it in the vault. The next document was in 1981, and uh, unbeknownst to, to actually a lot of Mormons, when Joseph Smith died in 1844, there was a struggle for succession. One of his counselors, Sidney Rigdon, uh, Brigham Young, 
uh, and then his son, Joseph Smith III, who was um, Emma Smith, uh, Joseph Smith's wife, was carrying on his claim. There was supposedly a blessing given by Joseph Smith to his son saying that you are going to um, succeed me as president of the church. And so that, that actually had never been found until 1981. Mark Hoffman found it. Uh-huh. Now, this, this actually was really bad for the church because Brigham Young succeeded Joseph Smith, not his son. Joseph Smith III actually founded the reorganized church of Latter-day Saints. So it's a splinter group of the Mormons. As a side note, their Doctrine and Covenants are – the Mormons, the modern Mormons, mainstream Mormons, ends, uh, I believe, with uh, either Brigham Young or John Taylor Revelation. Okay. Uh, the RLDS Church, which is now known as the Church of Christ, their Book of Commandments, their Doctrine and Covenants goes on to the present day. Their prophet still has revelations. Oh, Ours okay. <laughs> anyway, this would look really bad, and so um, – the church snapped it up. They paid $20,000 by check. Uh, I believe that was Gordon B. Hinckley who signed that. And uh, they snapped it up. They were uh, later embarrassed by it because uh, Mark Hoffman was dealing with the RLDS church who also wanted it. <laughs> um, he leaked it out to the New York Times, and uh, so it was out in the public. Now they're, they're stuck. So they take it out of the vault, and they end up uh, creating a trade with the RLDS church. So that's that's the second one. There was um, there was a bunch of other ones. There was a Lucy Mack Smith letter. There was a Hosea Stowell letter that was pretty damning. Um, it said that uh, Joseph Smith was involved in glass looking and seer stones and all this stuff before okay. the Book of Mormon. Okay. So they snapped that up with a fifteen thousand dollar check written by Gordon B. Hinckley. Right. And, and so it, it keeps being this uh, Hoffman guy keeps you know. Walking yeah. up like, oh, I found this other piece of paper, and and they're right. not, and they're they're never sort of curious, like, where are you getting this stuff? Like, because you know, yeah. our we've got a whole university of academics, and they're not finding this stuff. Where are you, this guy with a high school education? Where are you finding it? You know, they never ask that. Right. It never occurred to them to say, you know, these documents have been missing for a hundred years, a uh, hundred and fifty years in some cases. Uh, and one guy's finding all of them. Uh, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but you know, and they didn't really take a whole lot of pains to uh, authenticate them. Uh, certainly, if they prayed, uh, they didn't get any answers on it because right. they kept buying the stuff up. Yeah. Uh, and now the famous one in 1984, the Salamander Letter. Right. This one um, was a letter uh, from Martin Harris, who lost his farm. Uh, to William W. Phelps, who was uh, uh, one of the leaders of the church. Um, <clears throat> it presented kind of a discovery of the gold plates that was different from the church-accepted version. Right. He, in the letter, Martin Harris says how Joseph Smith told him a white salamander appeared to him, smacked him on the head three times, told him he couldn't have the plates until his brother Alvin uh, came with him. Uh, and his brother Alvin was dead at that time, so apparently that meant you know he had to dig up the bones of Alvin, and that's <laughs> so do do something to the skull, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, swing a dead cat around three times. But uh, they actually by this time Gordon B. Hinckley's wising up. He's thinking, uh, you know, every time I buy one of these things, it gets leaked <laughs> out to the press anyway. I'm not going to buy it. He's but, he's getting clever to the game. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
fool me once, shame on me, you know, fool me eight times. Um, so what he does is he gets a member of the church, a prominent member of the church, to pay him $40,000 and then donate that to the church. So it doesn't look like the church is buying this stuff and hushing it up, right? Right, right. So he's uh, so Mark Hoffman sells a salamander letter to Steve Christensen for forty thousand dollars. Okay, um, the significance of the salamander, like what I mean, other than it sounds stupid, like what what's the significance of the salamander? Well, it's really interesting because they they got this uh, authenticated, um, and so they kind of had to. They were forced to say, "Well, this seems to be accurate." Okay. And so there's a, a Mormon research group called Farms, which is uh, foundations of uh, foundation for ancient research and Mormon studies. So right. These are it's an apologetic group for Mormonism. Okay. So they defended the salamander because in the early 1800s they said the salamander stood for for a being that could exist in fire. Right. So, oh, right. right. So um, it, you know they're saying it's entirely. Uh, um, how do I put this? It's entirely consistent with Joseph Smith's vision because that's, of course, how a person from the early 1800s would describe an angel as a white salamander. Right, okay. So they're falling all over themselves to defend what is essentially indefensible. This is folk magic here, right? Okay. And it turns out to be absolutely false anyway. <laughs> all right, so that was the significance of the salamander. Um, okay. So uh, it, 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 it sort of contradicts the official church story that was like the angel Moroni, right? That, right. Sorry. The, the original story Joseph Smith gave was that uh, he was sleeping uh, one night, um, and the angel Moroni, who uh, edited, you know, gathered all this stuff into the to become the Book of Mormon, uh, appeared in his room three times and told him where to find the plates. Right. Okay. So now you're getting um, what appears to be an authentic letter from Martin Harris, who was, you know, helped uh, Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon, was involved in early Mormonism, getting a, a different story. Right. So instead of involving an angel, involving kind of like a magical, almost satanic being. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Okay. So um, uh, this continues until uh, Mark Hoffman starts getting in debt because he's running what is essentially a Ponzi scheme. Yeah. He is getting investors to invest in this stuff, and he'll – create forged documents to the church. The church will pay him. He'll pay the investors. And for a while, they're making all this money, but he's spending more. He's getting more people to invest, and he can't pay them back. So he tries uh, to forge a um, an early American document called Oath of a Freeman, which apparently was the first printed um, paper in the United States, in, in the Americas. Uh, like 1632, I think it was. Okay. Um, only 50 copies of this existed, right? Uh, so he was trying to sell this to the Library of Congress for $1.5 million. <laughs> that would take care of all of his monetary concerns and, and he'd be fine. Um, it, it is taking a long time to authenticate this because the Library of Congress isn't like the church. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> Before they invest, they want to make sure it's authentic. Uh, so he makes up this um, other collection of papers called the McClellan Collection. William McClellan is an early apostle of the church, uh, one of the first. Uh, he was excommunicated uh, about three years later, 1838. And so he tells the church that there's this explosive stuff in this McClellan collection. So the church really wants it, right? Right. You know, stuff about Joseph Smith's early polygamy, his folk magic, all the stuff they don't want to get to light. So uh, it turns out that the Library of Congress says, 
this isn't authentic. It's fake. So we're not buying this. We're not interested, basically. Right. All of his investors are hounding him. Um, Steve Christensen's hounding him because he's kind of the go-between between the church and uh, uh, Mark Hoffman. So on October 15th of 1985, uh, two bombs go off in Salt Lake. One kills Steve Christensen, and the other kills Kathy Sheets, who's wife of Gary Sheets, who used to be a business partner of Steve Christensen. So basically what Mark Hoffman's doing is saying, I've got to uh, kill Steve Christensen to slow down all this stuff so I have enough time to either forge some McClellan papers or find some other money. Okay. Uh, and I'm hoping by killing Gary Sheets to get the authorities off my trail because Gary Sheets and Steve Christensen had a business together where they screwed a bunch of investors ah. and they had a bunch of angry investors, like to the tune of 3,000 people. All right. Uh, but it ends up uh, Kathy Sheets goes to the mailbox and she gets um, killed. The wow. bomb blows off. So they're in the midst of investigating this, and uh, the next day, uh, Mark Hoffman is the victim of a, a bomb. Goes off in his own car, uh, blows a couple of his fingers off, and right away, they pin Mark Hoffman. Right. right? So like the next day, they interview him. They, they're uh, looking into his car. They find a bunch of blank Egyptian papyri, uh, a bunch of forging stuff, you know, all this paper and, and ink and – uh, they get warrants for his basement where he's got all this stuff. He's got um, makings for um, bombs. He's got an AK-47, I think, a fully automatic um, a machine gun. Uh, but he doesn't get charged. This, this happened in October. He gets out of the hospital in November, no charges. Well, like, well why not? I mean, it, 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 wouldn't he be the obvious suspect? Uh, they knew that by that time they knew absolutely – Hundred percent certain that this is the guy. Okay. No charges were brought because the the church essentially wanted this to go away. Ah, okay. They they actually interviewed Dallin Oaks and Gordon B. Hinckley. So these are two apostles there of the Quorum of the Twelve. Gordon All B. Right. Hinckley's in the first presidency, so he's in the top three. Um, they interview them, and uh, Gordon B. Hinckley uh, says, "I don't know who Steve Christensen was. You know, even though he had talked to him multiple times." Said he barely knew Mark Hoffman, um, <laughs> even though he met with him, you know, dozens of times. Yeah, he, was, he was his personal ATM, right? Exactly. Uh, and uh, he said, "I don't wish to testify." And one of the attorneys says, "What do you mean? You don't wish to testify? Uh, you're going to have to testify." He says, "No, you don't understand. I don't wish to testify." So no, no charges could be brought because no one wants to charge them. One of the problems was. They had him dead to rights on the Steve Christensen murder. They didn't have a whole lot of evidence because the cops who were doing the Kathy Sheets really bungled it up. Okay. So that laid them because one of the guys said, if I charge him with the Steve Christensen, there's going to be a heyday in the public. Why would you not charge him with Kathy Sheets? She'd be this victim, and, and uh, uh, that would be problematic to bring both cases. Uh, the investigation goes on. Multiple warrants are issued. They keep talking to all these guys. No one wants to bring charges, essentially because uh, the church doesn't want this. They certainly don't want Gordon B. Hinckley on the stand. My God, that would be horrible. <laughs> right. An apostle of God caught um, trying to silence all these documents that would prove faith concerning to a bunch of right. people. Be like putting the vice president of the United States on the stand or something. Be right. Uh, yeah. Who had firsthand knowledge of you know the Nixon Lost eight minutes, you know. Right, right. Um, it's horrible. It would, uh, it would 
um, proved to everyone essentially that Mormonism is is just a cockamamie story, and these guys are only interested really in preserving their own power structure. <clears throat> so he he was actually charged finally in February uh, of 1986. He was arrested for murder and forgery. Uh, everyone thought he was innocent because the the um, police had not released really anything. Right. Uh, the church wanted to keep it really hush hush. Um, they did an indictment. He got indicted for it. Uh, his father um, said that he got a revelation from God saying that his son was innocent. <laughs> this is very common in Mormonism. Very common to get this personal revelation. Well, spe- spectral <clears throat> spectral evidence. If you can't, uh, right. you can't if you can't believe spectral evidence, what, what exactly? What can you believe? They should have subpoenaed God to the stand. You know, yep. God told personally that my son was innocent. Uh, well, the extent of the evidence comes out in trial, and uh, the attorney for Mark Hoffman desperately wants a, a plea bargain. But they've got this mountain of evidence. So there's really no reason to plea bargain, yeah. except for the fact that the prosecuting attorney was LDS. Uh-oh. He got called into Gordon B. Hinckley's office in Dallin Oaks, and they sat him down, um, talked to him, and suddenly a plea bargain was in the works. So he got, instead of first-degree murder, he um, pleaded down to, I think, manslaughter uh, and a forgery. So he had a count of, I think, five years to life and then three counts of five to 15 years. Okay. Uh, where, you know, really, they had him dead to rights. They had him cold. If, if I recall, Utah, the, don't they, the, the firing squad is one of the legitimate forms of uh, execution there, isn't it? Yeah, they killed uh, Gary Gilmore, I think, who um, murdered some girls or something like that in the 70s. He, right. he chose death by firing squad. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's still on the books, but um, it was for a while, definitely. Okay. But, but it's definitely a state where you, you, know, you can get executed for, for first-degree murder. Yeah, death penalties in force, right. definitely. So it's, it's in Mark Hoffman's um, best interest to plea this stuff down. And you know, with parole, he could have been out in two years. Uh, but there's no real reason given for why the prosecuting attorney would want to plea this thing down. However, uh, what what they gave him was interview time with Mark Hoffman. And so he gave them all the information, how he forged the stuff, uh, why he did it, why he bombed uh, Steve Christensen and uh, Gary Sheets. Uh, but they didn't get who the third bomb was intended uh, for. And I think – that was a general authority. These guys are the step below the apostles. Okay. So they, they're still really powerful. There's only 70 of them. Um, Gordon B. Hinckley was out of town, and uh, they were pressuring Mark Hoffman for the McClellan papers. Mark Hoffman said, I need $185,000 from you guys. And uh, Hugh Pinnock called up First Interstate Bank, talked to the guy who was Mormon. The guy said, oh, all right, we'll, we'll set that up. <laughs> it's a little unusual, but okay, we'll do it. So they gave Mark Hoffman $185,000 for this McClellan collection that that never actually existed. And it actually turns out, way after all this stuff uh, was done, Mark Hoffman's put away, the church already had the McClellan collection in their vault. (laughs) But they forgot about it. Yeah, it's like when you go to the hardware store and you buy new screws and then you you forget. You already have those up in your basement and you just went – My God, I got 4C batteries already. 
apparently their vault is so massive they couldn't have gone down there and just checked. You know, it's ridiculous. Wow, and these are, these are the people who keep uh, geneal- genealogical records to the yes. you know the nth yes. degree. You know, they're supposed to be master record keepers, aren't they? Right. Yeah. Right. But no one can get in. That's the problem. No one can get into the vault. I don't. Uh, I don't know how they found it in the first place. Uh, anyway, to tie up the story. He's up for parole in 88, I think, uh, and uh, they denied him parole, so he's going to spend the rest of his life in prison. Oh, okay. So that's the – So they'll just they'll, – they'll bury him but not literally kind of thing. Right, uh, and he hasn't actually talked to the press I think since. Um, he uh, gave an interview or two originally and then that was it. He, he's uh, actually been quiet I think for the last 20 years. Wow. So that's the story. Interestingly enough, um, these are the same guys. And Gordon B. Hinckley later became prophet, seer, and revelator of the church. Uh, he was the head guy. Um, but these guys apparently have the gift of discernment, right? They can tell truth from lies and, and uh, evil from good, and they have a direct line to God. But apparently they never use it. <laughs> did, did, you, uh, did, you ever, did you ever read about like the, the, the Hitler diaries? No, I haven't. Oh, okay, because it was probably around about the same time that it was a German magazine called Stern. They were running the Hitler diaries, but it was sort of forged. Those and, were also forged, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. And it's almost, I mean, it's almost the exact same story. This one guy, he's got this source on all these, you know, these documents people can't you know, don't seem to be able to ever find. And, and, you know, he's collecting all this money for the Hitler diaries and, and they're, you know, they're not really authenticating him very much. And, and, uh, and then, you know, yeah, it all sort of eventually comes out in the wash that, you know, they were, they were forged. And with the Hitler diaries, I mean, it was, it was diary after diary after diary. And, 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 uh, you know, and, and Stern magazine, they would always argue, well, well, nobody could possibly, you know, forge, you know, in Hitler's pen, you know, that, many diaries and but then they, they ignored that like like five years before some two sisters in Italy had forged the Mussolini diaries you know yeah so I, I, it's just surprising that because I think it was happening at the same time or maybe even a little bit later than Hitler diaries that 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 you know that the church wasn't sort of maybe attuned to this that sort of going yeah you know forgeries you know same sort of story Right. It's, it's amazing to me um, that uh, you would pay this amount of money without authenticating it. And I can almost forgive the, these uh, lay people or the, the people who are taken in by it because it's Hitler. It's really interesting. Um, but I think the main reason the church bought this stuff is to bury it, is to hide it. Right. They didn't really care whether it was authentic or not. They just wanted to get it out of public hands. <laughs> oh, man. And that tells you a lot about what they – deep down inside, they think of their own religion. I mean really, if, G- if Joseph Smith got a revelation from a salamander instead of the angel Moroni, doesn't that call into question all of your beliefs? Pretty much, I would think. Yeah, and then this guy's uh, at one of the highest levels of the church saying, oh God, his response is – Ooh, better not let the public see this stuff. <laughs> right, yeah, right, but right, but yeah, it's sort of like you know the sort of the joke that you know like the uh, you know you know the Pope on, in the you know in the Vatican in their vaults they've got the body of Jesus sort of mummified down there, you know. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> doesn't this call into question. 
Yeah, it'll ruin us. Wow. All right, well, you 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 have limited time. You're 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 a married man. You've got a career. Uh, so I won't, I won't keep you too long. But uh, I, just my final question, a question I always ask my, uh, my 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 guests is what what is your what is your favorite small kitchen appliance? Uh, that would be the toaster. The toaster. All right. <laughs> Pretty simple. All Absolutely. Right. Toaster. All right. Not a toaster oven. Keep it nice and dead. A little two-slot toaster. Okay. Love it. Cool. All right. And uh, what's going to be coming up on Irreligious Office? <laughs> we are going to do the intersection between Egypt and the Bible, so the Old Testament stuff. Uh, with Joseph in the coat of many colors, and Zephaniah and Moses and the Pharaoh, it's going to be great. All right, cool. And what, 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 what's, your, what's your favorite, your personal favorite episode of Religious Office? The um, the LDS advice to young men about masturbation would be my favorite. That that was a popular one on the SGU board. Yes, we were yeah. talking about that. And yeah, yeah, that yeah, that is. Uh, you know the, the the part about the one of the guys' advice is sort of like you know don't you know when you come out of the shower just you know put on clothes right away don't admire yourself in the mirror and and uh, and you're and you and and Leighton are kind of like well does that turn any man on you know like you know you're looking at himself in the mirror and it just made me think like. No, but you know, some fifty-five-year-old religious guy is thinking, "Yeah, that's pretty hot." Maybe you know, young strapping guy coming out of the. Absolutely, that says a lot more about that you know eighty-year-old dude than oh. uh, the guys coming out of the shower. Oh. Like that's going to lead you to masturbate, seeing yourself naked in the shower. Whoa, I haven't seen that before. Yeah. Cover your eyes. They, they always use the term elders, right? You know, elders. Like, but but Elder these. Is- is someone who has the Melchizedek priesthood. Okay. So they give that to you, I think, when you're 17 or 18. Leighton would know better. But, you know, yeah. you go on a mission and you're elder so-and-so. Yeah, yeah. these are just young guys. So, they, like, if you hear that term elder, I think you use it sometimes on your podcast, like the elder. But, but yeah, but it, yeah, don't think like a 50-year-old guy. It's like, yeah, like a 17 or 18-year-old. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, like an office in the church. It's the elder so-and-so. Cool. Okay. All right. We're well, going to come in as well, the record, I think, for one of the shortest conspiracy skeptic unplugged. Unplugged. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> you, we just yap for a couple hours, and I don't, I don't edit anything. But all right. Well, th- thanks, thanks a lot, lot, lot Chuck. And and uh, uh, I have a link to your uh, site on my on my uh, uh, on my my site, uh, yrad.com forward slash cs. So uh, I won't ask you to give the URL because no one's going to be able to write that. Down there's so many letters in, in there, but yeah, great. Well, well th- thanks a lot, and have a have a you know have a, have a good night. All right, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Okay, all right, bye bye. Another heart in need of rescue